If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, we're going to be in just three verses today as we continue in our series, World Upside Down, as we have been in studying and will continue to study the first church and what was going on in the life of the very first people who were called Christians. And uh, last week, we left them off at this kind of pivotal moment where they first were, in fact, called Christians. And it's just amazing to me if you think about the fact that it has been so many centuries since uh, that took place, uh, and they still call us Christians. And I think it speaks to the sovereignty of God when he told Peter on this church, I will build my kingdom, and uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That God is passionate about this. I want you to hear that this morning. He is serious about this. He is serious about what we're doing right here, but he's even more serious about what we do from here as a church and as his people, what we do in terms of going into the world. And so today we're going to take a look at what happens right before the gospel message begins to go all throughout the world. Hey, I'm Todd. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. Really excited that you're here this morning, and we're just going to dive right in today. It's a special day. we got a lot happening in the life of our church. Yes, it's summer. I know you think that we kick back in the summer, and it's just the opposite. So there's a lot happening in the life of Hilton Head Island Community Church. I'm so excited about it, and uh, you'll hear a little bit more about that uh, later in the service. Uh, there was a recent Pew study, Pew Research study, study that tells us, and along, along with that came several other studies, so uh, a Barna research study and a Pew research study and another study showed that in the United States that there are between 6 and 9% of the population who live out Christianity the way that the New Testament describes. 6 to 9%. I want that to settle in with you that live out Christianity the way that the New Testament describes. There are far more people who would say that they're God followers or Jesus followers than 6 to 9%. But if you take a look at the New Testament and look at many of the practices that Jesus established and then the apostles and the first church continued to encourage and, and establish, there are between 6 and 9% of people here in America who live that out. Along with that, a more recent study showed that about 2% of Protestant evangelical Christians actually share their faith. 2%. 2% of evangelical Christians share their faith. It's almost really an oxymoron to call us evangelical Christians if only 2% of our people share their faith. And so it's no wonder that in our community alone that we have only 9% of people who are churched. It makes sense if you take those two different research uh, stats and those two different studies and combine them together. It's no wonder that we as a church uh, here in America and around the world um, are, are seeing the church decline in terms of numbers. And that's a problem, isn't it? I mean, we just have to face the fact that that's the way that it is, and it's a problem, but it's something that I believe if we capture what was going on here in the first church, I think that we can solve the problem of the decline of God's people. And we can actually see an increase in the amount of people who know him as their Savior and have eternity sealed forever with him in heaven. We have 
really walked through the book of Acts, and we kind of bounced around for a few weeks uh, based on a number of things, and we've gotten back on a more systematic track. A lot of you who like organization, you've been really happy about the last few weeks. You're like, I'm going back to church now. So uh, anyway, I get it. I understand that little OCD setting in. Get it. So we, uh, we as, uh, uh, we've really been focusing on uh, th- these first group of Christians. And what, did, what did they do, and who were they, and, and why, why did God use them in this, this mighty, miraculous way? And I want to be Again, going back to the to the beginning, all the way back in the in the first chapter of Acts, when Jesus was still here, he was still on earth, and the Holy Spirit was about ready to descend upon the church, those first group of Christians, and he gave us kind of a little bit more of a focus from the great commission that he had given us back that's recorded in Matthew. He kind of defined it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we've been walking through this adventure of the first church, taking that great commission that they were given back in Matthew uh, to, to, to uh, make disciples and to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to do it wherever they go. And, and he brings some definition here, and he really gives them some geographic definition. And so we see that in Acts chapters 2 through 11, we see that, that Luke chronicles and kind of gives the history of the results of the first church's commitment to Jesus' instructions in the first part of that verse, chapter 1, verse 8. Because he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And we see in chapters 2 all the way through, about chapter 11, there's a transitional chapter in 12. But we see that, that they, were, they were obedient to his command there. And the gospels began to spread exactly how Jesus focused it into Judea, into their community, Ju- Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And we see that because of their obedience um, God, and because of God, the power of God on their side and because of the faithfulness of his people, that the first part of that mission that Jesus gave them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 was accomplished. And you can see, you can even check this out on, on a map here. You can see just a little bit of what that means in, in Palestine, in that area. Uh, that green part there is Judea, and Jerusalem is kind of over on the right side in the middle near the Dead Sea right there. And, um, and the, the gospel spread up into Samaria, and then it went over to the Mediterranean, and, and it really began to spread up into Galilee, which is represented by that red part. And so what we see here in the first few chapters of, of the book of Acts um, is that the gospel was was spread into those areas that Jesus instructed them to take the gospel to, their own backyard. That's what this was. It was their own, own backyard. And so we see that kind of mission accomplished. But then the second part of that verse says that it's not in Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem, but the second part of that verse says, and to the end of the earth. And Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 12, excuse me, and through Acts chapter 28, the end of Acts, it chronicles the first church's commitment to Jesus' command and instructions in the second part of that verse to take the gospel message into the whole world. And when I say that right now in 2018, the world is a fairly small place, isn't it? We can get just about anywhere within a few hours, really, 
Within a day, for sure, you can get to most places very quickly in today's day and age in our, with our technology and our transportation the way it is. But I want you to think about that. Think about the heaviness of that mission, that geographic region that Jesus gave the first church. It, it wasn't just to their own backyard, but he said, take this to the rest of the world. And I wonder in that moment there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I mean, Jesus has, has already died on the cross and he was resurrected a few days later and then he came back to the earth to, to talk to them and he's in his glorified form. I, I bet these people thought, what have we done? Like he wants us to take this message into the whole earth. It's nearly impossible. But the gospel message, we see it in, verses, or in chapters 12 through 28, is the history of that gospel being taken into the known world during that day and age. It's taken beyond their community, and it's taken into most of the known world. And I wonder what happened to make that gospel spread into the whole world. I wonder what happened to those people to empower them to go out into the whole world. And I got to think that the power of the Holy Spirit working in them and working in us to spread the message of Jesus to the world hinges on us first being set apart for the work that lies ahead. Listen, if we're going to increase the 2% of evangelical Protestant Christians who share their faith, if we're going to make a dent in the 6 to 9% of people who actually like live what the New Testament says in the world or in our, in our, in our, uh, our world in the United States, um, we've got to have the power of God on our side. We can't come up with enough strategies and enough w ways and enough like, you know, plans to be able to do this in ourselves. We're powerless to do it. It is reliant and it hinges on us tapping in to the Spirit of God with his wind at our back, guiding and directing and empowering. And we kind of left things off last week with this idea that we need to be empowered by his Holy Spirit. But how do we do that? What happens here? What, what do we see here in the first church where that happens? We'll take a look at Acts 13, 1 through 3 this morning. You guys can follow along as I read. The verses will be on the screen. Now there were in the church, now there were in the church at Antioch, Prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. If we just were to stop there for a second, and that's not the point of this message because we've talked about it before, but, but all of a sudden the church is this great amalgamation of all kind of people. It's not just one race. It's not just one color. It's not just one gender. It is a whole group of, of people that God calls together, and, and it's becoming more and more diverse as time goes on. And, y'all, I've got to be honest with you. I think that's the way heaven's going to be. Don't you believe that? that heaven is going to be a diverse place because God's message of redemption is for all mankind. We talked a lot about that verse, too. While they were worshiping the Lord... And fasting, the Holy Spirit said this, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Listen, to be sent out, 
to be sent out or to be sent off, as, as Scripture says there, to spread the gospel message. Listen, I want you to hear this. You and I, we must be set apart for a while to ensure that we're being led and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. To be sent out or to be sent off into the world to do his, his bidding, to do his work of telling others, telling our friends, our coworkers, telling the people in our world and telling the people in the world beyond our world about the great redemption, the great salvation, the great message of Jesus. It means that we must be set apart to do the work that God has called for us to do. And it's very dangerous, I realize, to try to find a strategy in God's Holy Spirit. Mark Batterson wrote a great book called Wild Goose Chase. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. That's about God's Holy Spirit and his movement in the first church. He even says this. He says this in Wild Goose Chase. When Christianity turns into a noun, it becomes a turnoff. Christianity must all, it was always intended to be a verb. And more specifically, an action verb. The title of the book of Acts, he says, says it all, doesn't it? It's not the book or the ideas or the theories of, of, or words. It's the book of, say it with me, Acts. It's the book of Acts. And he says, he goes on to say, if the 21st century church said less and did more, maybe we would have the same kind of impact the first century church did. And I couldn't agree with that statement more. I think sometimes we fall into this trap of analysis by paralysis and we fall into this trap of considering and what we're doing and, and never actually doing the work of the ministry. When Jesus gave the Great Commission all the way back in Matthew to, to, to go into all the world to make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the, the verb that was used there was a, an action verb, a as you were going, essentially that's the, way it, that would, that's the way it would translate now, that as you're doing life, Make disciples and baptize people. And it's the same thing that we see in Acts 1.8. It says they were going. But I believe at the same time that we have to find out how did these first Christians get in the flow of God's Holy Spirit I have a lot of people ask me, man, I, I need a course on, on how to evangelize, how to share my faith. And, and I, I agree, that's a good thing. We've done that before. We've, we've had times when we as a church have kind of put our story together in a format that we can tell others. And I think it's good to work on that. But I got to be honest with you, uh, church, I, I think that, that like the best strategy of, of sharing your faith is, is getting in tune with God's Holy Spirit, walking with him, getting in step with him. And then just being bold enough to, to open our mouths to the people that he puts in front of us. I think it's just as simple as that. Let him do the rest of the work. In fact, let him do all the work. Because we are just his messengers. So at the risk of trying to put the Holy Spirit in a box, maybe I'll have to talk to God about that sometime, I want to point out three different things that we, I think, can do to prepare ourselves to be in tune with God's Holy Spirit, to be sent off to spread the gospel, to be set apart, to be sent out. The first thing I think that we see this first church doing here is inspection. I think the very first thing that this first church did is, is they, they allowed themselves to, to, to have God take personal inventory of where they are in their lives. 
It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And he was selecting two men to go out on the first missionary journeys. The next three weeks, we're going to be looking at those missionary journeys. We're going to be looking at the very first missionaries in the world in the book of Acts. But what happened to prepare them for the work of the ministry is first and foremost, they allowed God's Holy Spirit to inspect their lives. Man, if we don't begin with that, we're, we're dead in the water. We're sunk right there. If we don't allow him honestly to set us apart, that's what that, that's what that phrase means, to be pulled apart, to, to be taken away. For God's Holy Spirit to investigate what's going on in our lives. And I love the fact that he called them out in the middle of a prayer service. That's what was going on here. This wasn't like, you know, after a, a whole like litany of things that they had to accomplish. There wasn't this long checklist. I'm pretty sure they didn't have background checks back in that day and age. We do. It's okay. Don't be nervous. You're like, oh, great. Then I'll do background checks. Yes, we do background checks. I, I'm just saying, I don't think they did that back then, right? Didn't have LexisNexis or whatever it is. Anyway, so... These people were just pulled out, but they were pulled out for a purpose to allow God's Holy Spirit to investigate and inspect their lives. They were in the middle of authentic worship of God himself when they were called. It makes me think also that they were called for a purpose and called for a reason. And it makes me think that their eyes and their heart were fixed on Jesus they took seriously Jesus' command in Matthew 6, 21, when he said, or, or the instruction, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Their focus, listen, I want you to hear this, their focus was not on themselves. Their focus was not even focused on the work they were about ready to do. Their focus, their mind's attention, their heart's affection was on Jesus the author and perfecter of their faith. They had their eyes on the prize. And their purpose was for his kingdom. Matthew 6.33 says to seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. They understood that. And they allowed themselves to be inspected first and foremost. And so today I just want to end this point with just a couple questions that I think we need to ask. Is what is our motivation to go? And when I say go, I'm saying as we're going and those times that we're selected, like we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, to go on a specific mission. But what's our motivation to go? Are we even motivated to go? Has um, the, the power of God's Holy Spirit risen up so much in us that we are even motivated to tell others? Am I doing this for myself? Am I doing it from, for some kind of outward recognition? I promise you that these men who were selected to go on these three missionary journeys, they had their focus on Jesus and their purpose was his kingdom. Secondly, I think we see preparation beginning to take place. We see in their being set apart, they're being pulled away. We see that they are preparing themselves with a commitment, like a committed time to pray and to fast. Acts 13 verse 2 says, while they were worshiping the Lord uh, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas 
Barnabas and Saul, sorry, for the work to which I have called them. They were in the middle of fasting. They were right in the center of it. You know, if you read the stories of the great Christians, the great people of our faith that have done amazing work for God, Billy Graham just passed away um, a few months ago. Um, It's incredible how much these men and women were committed to personal prayer and personal fasting. And when we hear that, when we hear this whole idea of fasting, man, it kind of sends us for the hills, right? I don't like going without food. Fairly obvious. I don't like going without technology. I don't like going without the things that we rely on as people, but sometimes pulling away and finding our reliance on God instead of something else helps us to recenter who we are. It helps us to prepare the work before us. Listen, we're in a dangerous thing here. We're doing a dangerous thing. We're on a dangerous mission of telling the world, those people around us, those people beyond our borders, beyond our own backyard, we're in a dangerous game and we need to prepare ourselves. And no one ever has done anything great for God without a season or seasons of prayer and fasting. Jesus didn't. Luke 4 uh, Luke 4 uh, uh, verse uh, 2 uh, talks about this. Uh, he was out in the desert for 40 days being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were ending, he was hungry. Man, I love that verse. Because Jesus himself, the very son of God, pulled away to fast and to pray. And my favorite part of that verse is when it was over, he was hungry. <laughs> if you've ever gone through a fast, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You get to the end of it. You have these breakthrough points, but you get to the end, and you're famished. But if you do it right, if you do it with authenticity, you see your dependence on God grow and grow and grow. I think some questions that we can ask during these periods of time are, do we have any unconfessed sin? Is there anything in our lives or in my life that distracts me from my walk with God? And he's going to use us regardless of where we've been. In fact, he's going to use us because of where we've been sometimes. But I think part of our preparation is confession, repentance, and turning back to him. Recommitting our lives to him. And then finally, I think the third thing that we see them do is, is they ask for support. They ask for support. They sought out, and I think we need to seek out prayer support, church leadership support, and the encouragement of of church family and Christian friends and other Christ followers that we have in our lives. In verse 3, we see Acts 13, verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, the church laid their hands on them, and they sent them off to do the work, to do that dangerous work of taking the gospel into the world. Imagine for a moment, it's the first century, The dangers of travel alone. The world and how large it was back then. How far point A was from point B. And these men weren't taking a product to sell. They weren't taking something to create commerce with. They were on a mission from the creator of the universe and church, we're in this too. We're in this too. 
over 2,000 years later? I think we need to ask some questions. Has my church supported my decision to go? Is my church praying for me and encouraging me? And then I think the question that we need to ask as a church is who am I supporting to go? You see, we as a church join together. We link arms and word encouragement to each other when we join in that time of prayer and fasting. We join in praying for each other. We link arms. We go shoulder to shoulder. And we say, we're in this together. We're not alone. We're not alone. Some of you know my excitement. I was going to use the word passion, but... uh, I probably shouldn't use that word about this, but my excitement about Liverpool football, that's soccer here in America, by the way, just so you know, football's different uh, elsewhere. And I love Liverpool, and for years over in Liverpool, before every single game, they sing a song that was written back in the 1950s by Jerry and the Pacemakers. Some of you know that, uh, and you recognize them. They were kind of like, you know, with the Beatles, kind of that era. All right, I just made it, like, applicable to everyone there, hopefully. So anyway, so they, they wrote this song called You'll Never Walk Alone, and some of the things that the people from Liverpool had gone through caused them to sing that song one day at the beginning of that football match and every single game from that point on they sing at the top of their lungs this song that if we heard it on the radio we'd go that is a horrible song (laughs) but the meaning in the words is true you'll never walk alone and I believe if we're going to get in tune with God's Holy Spirit and sharing our faith and doing it in our own backyard and doing it beyond our backyard like this first church did, it means that we've got to join together and realize that part of joining in with God's Holy Spirit is linking arms together and never, ever, ever doing this work or allowing this work to be done alone. You see, I believe that what we're talking about is first and foremost personal. I think that at the moment that we become a Christ follower, we join in that great commission that's defined in Matthew. We join in the kind of the, a little more refined focus of that in Acts chapter 1 to take it in, into our neighborhoods and then beyond. And so I think this message is not just for missionaries. It's not just for people like we're going to talk about or on a short-term trip. This is for all of us. It's personal, but then it's also there are times when we're marked, when we're called out by God's Holy Spirit to do a specific work. It might be a short-term mission or it might be a long-term mission, but church, I want you to hear today that it's both and. That taking his gospel into the world, taking his message into the world is personal for me, and it's also corporate for people who are pulled out and called out, just like Saul and Barnabas were. So today what we're going to do is we're going to join in and um, we're going to pray for our Belize team right now as a church. Uh, We're leaving uh, two weeks from yesterday to go to Belize. And yeah, we're going to go there to do some uh, light landscaping and construction work. No worries, the people that are walking here are part of the team, so it's totally fine, all right? And don't freak out. Uh, We're going there to do some vacation Bible studies Uh, They don't know this because I got a text from the pastor we're working with down there. We're going there to teach children's Sunday school class in the church on Sunday. You guys didn't know that. We just got word on that. Uh, We're going there to do some soccer clinics with some of the kids there because that's the best way to reach people. 
But we understand, and in our training and in our lead-up to going to Belize, we're there to meet with people and to share the message of what God has done in our lives. I'm going to have you guys all stand, move up just a little bit. To share the message of what God has done in our lives with the people of Belize. So today, we're going we're gonna to model this. Now, we're not going to all come down and lay hands on all these people. They might freak out about that, okay? But here's what we're going to do. Justin's going to pray. By the way, this is Justin Boyder, our brand new youth pastor who's going to Belize with us. <laughs> when we were getting close to hiring him, I said, so as soon as you get here in June, you got to go on a, a camp and you got to go on a mission trip. And he was like, cool, I love it. Stay away, all right? So I'm going to ask Justin to pray. And then when he's done, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you all if you would do this, if you would stand. And if you would, instead of putting your hand on them, if you would reach out your hand in support of them. And if you would commit to praying for this team over these next few weeks, why don't you stand up this morning? If you would reach out your arm and your hand in support of them, and let's pray together as a church. And Justin, I'm going to let you start, and then I'll finish. Thanks, Todd. Father, we declare this morning that you are a God worth serving. God, that you are a God whose message is worth proclaiming. Uh, and I'm so thankful that you have provided a team to go out and do that, Lord. Father, we've, we just confess uh, our complete and utter need for you in that and our dependence on you to work through us, uh, to serve you, and to proclaim your message well, Lord. I just pray for the preparation and the protection of this team. God, and we thank you for a church family that uh, supports and cares for and loves uh, enough to send people out and to provide resources and take time to, to just proclaim your message to people throughout the world, Lord. So, Father, we love you. Uh, we just ask again that this team would, would serve you well, would proclaim your message passionately, clearly, and lovingly, God, so that people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that suffering would be alleviated, uh, that fellowship and fun would increase, God, and above all, your name would be glorified. Uh, so we just thank you so much, Lord, for what you're doing here, what you continue to do around the world, and we're thankful that we get to be a part of it, God. Um, we pray all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. And Father God, I just continue to pray as Justin has, has just asked for your, um, your Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us as we go from here. And God, first, I want to pray for all of these who have their hands up in support of us, the team that's going to Belize, that's going to San Ignacio and San Marcos and Billy White, God. I pray for the, for the folks here, God, that they would realize that part of being sent out is just doing it as we go, as we live our lives. But God, then there's this being sent out that means being pulled apart and being set apart. And God, these people on this stage have committed um, two weeks of or a week of their lives, God, uh, to you. And some have taken vacation time. Many have given their own money beyond asking people for money. And I pray in the strong name of Jesus for everybody on this stage, God, that you would lead and guide and that you would bless them, God, that you would keep us safe. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go before us. God, that you would use us in mighty ways, that it would be unusual and it would be extraordinary. And God, I pray that you would go before us with the people that we interact with from the moment that we walk into the airport very early on two Saturdays, God. I pray that you would lead us as we're on the plane, as we're in Belize, in San Ignacio, in San Marcos, God, that you would allow us, you would open doors and that we would walk through them and that we would have the chance and the opportunity through all the different things that we're doing there 
God, to tell others around the world about you. And God, I thank you for these folks. I pray your blessing on them. I pray your blessing on their families. God, as they're staying back home, God, I pray that you would just go before us and use us in a mighty way as we are sent off to do your work around the world. And God, I pray this all in the strong and the mighty and the powerful name, the name above all names, Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Why don't you give it up one more time for this team of great people. Awesome.